When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mutation, it is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined once again by my good friend, Chris Bruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, it's another wonderful week. No complaints. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm just excited to be back in the throes of the podcast and the throes of MCP, back in our X season. It's just, it's feeling good. I'm, I'm really having a great time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we hope you guys enjoyed last episode, which was pretty tough one, if we're being honest with you guys. We mentioned that in the episode, but Magneto, getting all of Magneto into one episode in our format was quite the challenge and quite actually exciting to do when it was done. And we've got another exciting episode today, continuing our Brotherhood series. But before we get back into our Brotherhood series, Chris, there's been a lot of spoilers from Atomic Mass before I even take that one step further, there's been a lot of changes in Atomic Mass and something we talked about on the show briefly, but not you know, that much, but they've fully taken on the Star Wars license now too, which is one of the most exciting things in the world to me, because you know I've been playing every Star Wars tabletop game since the 90s. Oh, yes, I, I am very aware. You have beaten my butt in several of those games several times. I love those games so much. So AMG getting the license we talked about, couldn't be more excited, but I just want to talk about this up front, Chris, what you think about this, because next week they are having their first Star Wars, basically atomic mass transmissions like they do for MCP. They're having their first Star Wars version of that on February the 3rd. I tell you, I'm doing everything I can to be able to watch that live. Me too. You know I am, man. I cannot wait. Whatever needs to be done, I will try, you know dad life all day during the day. So afternoon stream might be a bit tougher, but you know, in the least maybe I can listen to it on my phone or something. Yeah. I might have to uh, clock out at work or something for it. We'll see. I can't wait. But what's very exciting to me is what are they going to talk about? What are they going to do? Is Wednesday the new slot? Because, you know, talking mass games, we get these wonderful things from them every week as MCP players. On Tuesday, we normally get a blog. And on Thursdays, we normally get a stream of the models and Dallas or Will painting and a lot of great audience interaction. So is Star Wars just nestled right now in the Wednesday spot? If so, I'm happy Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday every week. I'm very happy. It could be absolutely incredible. It could be wonderful. I generally don't get to watch these things because I am working, but I right. do like to try to catch them later. So it's going to be nice. Just more content, really. Yeah, that's typically the format I catch them too, Chris. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, with us working during the day, it is hard to catch these streams and things like that. But, you know, like on a lunch break or something, you can read the Atomic Mass blogs or you can go watch one of these great streams on, of course, their video section because they always upload this stuff post the streams, which is great. So it's something I couldn't wait to talk about up front. And I know a lot of our listeners probably have a background in Star Wars games too, if they followed any content I've done over the years in the way of podcasts and gaming content. So I know everyone's excited about just to hear basically Atomic Mass plan going forward with the Star Wars license, which is super exciting to me, kind of the transition from FFG over to them. Maybe they'll get some information on the future of these games people love so much. Star Wars Legion, Star Wars Armada, Star Wars X-Wing. Who knows? I can't wait. My calendar is marked. Also, Chris, we talk about all the time how MCP's arguably one of the best miniatures games ever made. And I don't think that's a stretch by any means. So Atomic Mass having any sort of future in Star Wars with miniatures games of any kinds, whether it's the pre-existing ones that FFG had that we love and play to maybe possible future ones. I don't care. Whatever they do is going to be great. <laughs> I really think that. They've built up enough equity with me that I, I just give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm extremely excited to hear their plans for the future of the Star Wars license and 
I don't know. Maybe maybe they do kind of a Star Wars MCP-ish, smaller skirmish type thing. I don't know. I don't know either, but I would be all about it if they did. You know I would, Chris. I would just like to see the, the rule sets that Atomic Mass could create for the Star Wars settings. Yeah, and I try not to think about even the concept of the making a skirmish game because you know you and I would have to play it. Oh, absolutely. Maybe you take that one step further and make some content for it because if it's as good as MCP and it's in my favorite universe, the Star Wars universe, I couldn't resist, of course. But I'm I'm happy right now devoting all my time and love into MCP. And then, you know, of course, on the side, playing these Star Wars games like I always have and getting my enjoyment out of those because, you know, I'm I'm still a frequent Legion and Armada player. And I haven't played X-Wing since they changed over to 2.0 because that's just too much for me to keep up with um, in my life. You know, Star Wars is great and Atomic Mass is great. So one can only imagine, you know, one can only imagine. So And I do often. As we do. So that was the first thought on my mind because we are in the topic in this news right now, Chris, of atomic mass transmissions. And of course, the transmissions we're talking about today are Crystal, Lockjaw, and Black Bolt. So let's go into Crystal real quick. So they haven't revealed Crystal's card fully to us. We know she's an Inhuman, and we actually know the Inhumans have a built-in trait now, like the Asgardians, which is an innate superpower Inhuman. This character may re-roll one die in its attack or defense rolls. So kind of like Wakanda, except it's just one roll. Interesting. I really like it. It's a consistent built-in thing that all Inhumans have, and it's not actually their affiliation. Does that make sense? It's more like the Asgardians all gain two power right. in the power phase, even if they're in other lists. Inhumans are just like this with this free re-roll every time they you know do an attack or defense and i think that's really a cool thing because like the asgardians they're gonna have an individual identity no matter what team they're on yes that's a very welcome addition to the game to kind of see that within another group to know that we're going to get that with other groups in the future as well is pretty cool i couldn't agree more chris because you know something i talk about on the show all the time which i think people kind of sometimes slight is that identity of characters in affiliations when you take the affiliation away, right? Like all the web warriors are obviously much better with the web warrior affiliation, but really when you just look at them as a core, what do they do as members of the team? How do they perform? That's really interesting to me because I think that's really sometimes what makes a team composition really, really interesting. We've talked about the guardians before, People get short-sighted and say they have one of the weaker affiliation powers in the game. It might be true, might not be true, but more importantly, the Guardians as a whole are like a cheap team, all of characters that are specialized in some area and really only in one area, and they can all basically hit above their weight class in that one area. And that's kind of actually their real team identity. So I'm looking forward to more things like this in the future with future affiliations where it's like you said, Chris, you bring an inhuman and x-men but they're still doing inhuman things because they have these kind of innate things that make them this affiliation even when they don't have the leadership exactly so moving into crystal we don't know much about her we do know the atomic mass went a little crazy which is very exciting that she has four unique attacks which is very rare in this game and apparently all of her attacks as we know the character are different elemental attacks and they do different sort of status effects and I'm presuming control Chris in the game. We don't really know, but it's a really nice tease for Crystal, I think. And now that she has this reroll built in too, you can kind of see a trend of like if she's got four different attacks, if she's got consistent rerolls, she's got some control baked into that. I think you can kind of pick the flavor of the attack you want to use that's best suited for the situation. I assume that's how she's going to be, which is going to be really great. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm kind of excited for a very situational character that you can potentially use kind of like a Swiss Army knife, I guess. Yeah, a control mage. Exactly. I think it would be really, really fun. So that's all we know about Crystal. Moving on to Lockjaw, my most anticipated model of this Inhuman set, just because I just want a dog on my team. We've talked about it many times before, Chris. And Lockjaw, we don't know his threat cost. We don't know his health. We don't know any of his stats or anything like that. But from the blog, we do know that he has an active superpower that lets him choose an allied character within range three and place them within range three of their current location. What do you think about that? That's so insane. That's... (laughs) It's nice. It's going to be really cool. I'm very excited to see, you know, just how this plays out. I need to see this whole card. I need the full context of Lockjaw before I freak out too much. But yeah, it's going to be wild. Well, I just think about how strong the criminal syndicate already are sitting on objectives and things like that, Chris. And a lot of them have some slow movers like Kingpin 
So once he plants his feet on that objective, he's going to be there and scoring those points because he's counting as two criminal syndicate, et cetera, et cetera. My first thought was Lockjaw teleporting criminal syndicate members around and them counting as two on objectives. I mean, it's a pipe dream a bit, but it's mm. also probably viable, I think. I don't know. It's wild. It's wild. We're going to have to try it. I really don't see a spot where he wouldn't fit because, you know, my first thought being a kind of Hulk lover here, Chris, and I think Hulk gets way too much negative press from the competitive scene in this game. I think if you want to play Hulk, you play him and you enjoy him. And yeah, he is a little bit more niche and you got to play him just right. Like we talked about last time with Magneto. If you don't have a plan for where Hulk's going, you might have kind of messed up your turn zero with Hulk. But that aside, if Lockjaw can teleport Hulk, the game has changed for me, at least. I'm ready. Well, you know I'm going to use it with crossbones. Oh, yeah. Just to upset people. Got to use crossbones. Got to represent the Chris Breffitt. This is going to revitalize a lot of characters that have kind of gone by the wayside due to the, I don't want to say movement meta, but it's just these these slow characters just have so little room for error that having sure. Lockjaw on the team to be able to kind of mask that a little bit or, or where they'll move a little bit more like a regular character, perhaps even more than like a medium move character could be really, really interesting. And it could really actually change the complexion of some of these teams. Oh, it really could, Chris. And MCP is already a game about moving around the map almost more than actual attacks, moving people around on the map, pushing and throwing enemies off things on the map. Of course, there's attacks built in there too, but that's, that is really the meat of the game. So Lockjaw is going to have an interesting place you know, closing out Lockjaw. We also know that he has an interdimensional bloodhound power that represents him marking a target with his nose, pays three power, gives allies additional dice on attacks when targeting that target. So it's pretty interesting. He's going full support like I thought he would. I love it. Yeah, I'm not too surprised about what I'm seeing, but I'm kind of scared. Well, moving on to being kind of scared, we have Black Bolt's card now, Chris. And I want to know what your thoughts are on this character that, that you really love so much. We talked about last week him being five threat because we did know that. Now we've seen he's got some pretty insane attacks and some pretty consistent superpowers. What do you think? He's got some super interesting powers. The five health on the front, you know, they're just not even making any bones about it. You want him flipped. Yep. Easy to do. Yeah. You want that big, big attack. You want to go in and, and him get knocked out and flipped so he can go into the next turn with the six power required to use that whisper attack. Insane. Insane. It's such a, a wild attack for this game. It's a beam four, nine dice, like we talked about last episode and potential to give out stagger destroys all size two terrain or less in its path so he's just blowing everything up it's insane chris and of course you know i'm gonna harp on it again but i still think it's important he is nine stamina on the back and he has a superpower that costs two you know or he adds defense dice to his defense so he is going to be a new modern tanky character i mean he's going to be up there with i'm assuming a lot of the tanky ones like the black panthers and captain americas of the world interesting very interesting and it's interesting how his tankiness is skewed so far mm -hmm. one way absolutely know? And that's kind of how Cap and Panther are too. Panther's so tanky on the front, much less on the back. Cap's normal on the front and incredibly tanky on the back. And Black Bolt's just this big sway and big mix of both of those ideas. And I think it's really interesting. Like he has, you know, the lowest mystic defense we've seen in the game so far on both sides. Mystic truly is his weakness. But then he's four on physical and energy. So it's four, four, two is his spread, but with 14 health total, it's very interesting. And you know, something I think you and I talked about Chris off mic, we're getting more fives in the game. We're getting more sixes in the game, which is a nice thing because they have been the least represented number in the game so far. And that makes sense that they have been right. Well, and so many linchpin characters are going to come in at that five and six right. threat level. We're going to start seeing a lot of people's big you know, Mount Rushmore type characters, if they're not already in the game, they're likely coming soon. I think Black Bolt fits five really well, you know? He looks great, but he doesn't look he doesn't look like he can't be dealt with a little bit. He looks very fun. Yeah. And he's got fun attacks. He's got throws built into these attacks. He's got a fun character, and I can't wait, Chris, for us to get into our deep dive on him where we'll kind of dive more into this information. But that's everything a top mass has given us on the Inhuman so far. I'm looking forward to that Crystal and Lockjaw card, Chris. That's for sure. Oh, me too. It's going to be fun. We mentioned we're back in the Brotherhood this week, Chris, and I think we have another pivotal Brotherhood character this week, Mystique. 
Let's go. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at Patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy this show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. And this week, we have a big, big, big shout out to Sweetness Wachacha. It really is too sweet. Thank you so much. Great patron name. Very good. And of course, we have to thank our adventure producers, Matthew R. and Brett C. We couldn't do the show without you guys. Thanks, fellas. All right, Chris. Let's get over to lore. Well, everybody, once again, we have kind of some adult subjects here. Just a warning. So if you want to if you want to skip forward a little bit, I understand. But we will be dealing with some sexual themes. So we're going to start talking about Mystique like we start every character. We're going to ask the question, who is Mystique? Raven Darkholm, as she's also known. She is a mutant. She is a very, very, very talented shapeshifter. She's an assassin. She's a villain. She's extremely self-centered. And she's over 100 years old. And of course, it has been confirmed more recently that her and the character Destiny have been romantically involved on and off for a very, very long time. She's a very interesting character, but she is not good by any stretch of the imagination. Right. So to contrast her, Chris, with Magneto of last episode, who is sometimes very nuanced and very gray in his bad guyness, Mystique is kind of pretty flip side. She is. She sometimes ends up doing good things, but it is always for her own ends. She's a very self-involved person. And it's interesting that she is depicted as Magneto's right hand in a lot of, you know, kind of more pop art type of stuff. She's kind of always there with Magneto. It's that classic brotherhood, Magneto, right. Toad, Mystique, Sabretooth, you know, the brotherhood we have here in MCP. But she has not always been his ally, and she is not always fighting with him. It's a very nuanced thing that's hard to get across in pop art and things like that. But she is a very nuanced character, but always, always, always puts Raven Darkholm first. She's the type of character that I get the vibe. You guys will have to stay with me on this sort of train of thought, but you mentioned her being the right-hand person to Magneto and Magneto kind of being the main mastermind. We've seen this trope a lot in villains, Chris, all over the place, especially in our circles, as in comics and things like that. What's interesting about Raven is she's almost on Magneto's level with intellect and sort of her prowess and things. I think a lot of these other tropes we've seen with villains, good example I like to reference a lot, Megatron and Starscream. Starscream's always trying to, you know, wait for that one moment when Megatron's gone or is dead and then take over and all this type of thing and really rule the Decepticons the way that Starscream intends it. But it just never works out because, you know, Megatron's always one step ahead. What's interesting about Mystique is sometimes Magneto takes the good path and then Mystique kind of just rises to leadership it's very nuanced like you said like there's not ill intent sometimes and the other times there is that's what i've always tried to understand with the character it's not always like a starscream the second megatron turns his back starscream takes that lead mystique's not always like that right no and she doesn't really seek power now given the nature of her powers she right. tends to move a lot in the background it's very interesting that you that you kind of draw that distinction between her and magneto because to me, they're two different sides of the same coin, and I'm speaking mostly of just their powers here. Magneto is just extremely macro-oriented, big, big, big powers, take on whole armies by himself. Yes. Whereas Mystique is kind of the perfect micro-oriented, extremely overpowered person. Her, her shape-shifting powers are so good that she can even, at this point in time, mimic a person's smell as well. To fool people like Wolverine or or dogs or things like that. She is an extremely capable shapeshifter, making her one of the most formidable assassins in Marvel comics. Very good. Well, what are her superpowers, Chris? Well, as I said, she is an extremely talented shapeshifter. I won't bore you with all 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 the minutia, but she right. is almost invincible she can literally you know kind of move her organs around to avoid them getting hit by bullets she can fold herself kind of 
into a sheet and kind of fly that way. She can add and subtract mass to herself when she does shapeshift. Of course, this is something that happened later on. She's kind of gone through two big power-ups from her initial introduction. But more than that, she is a very cunning strategist. She's a a master commando kind of leader, you know, terrorist type leader. She's an adept at martial arts and information technology. She has a talent for finding, stealing, and understanding cutting edge weaponry. Sometimes she can even mimic that weaponry with her powers and turn her hand into a gun that fires. It's crazy. Furthermore, with over centuries of experience in posing as people, she's picked up a lot, a lot, a lot of skill of being able to identify someone else that is being impersonated by the body language being off, etc., etc. So part of her kind of shape-shifting whole skill set is that she's practically immortal and she also has a healing factor. But, you know, depending on the time, what time you're talking, all mutants have healing factors. All mutants have yeah. enhanced strength. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. Not a Wolverine, Sabretooth level healing factor, but oh, no, a more no. subdued healing factor. Probably her last superpower is her vast amount of resources. One of her alter egos is a billionaire by the name of B. Byron Biggs and B. Byron Biggs owns a number of safe houses around the world, which are often protected by extremely sophisticated security systems. So because of that, she has access to a staggering array of weaponry and gadgets, including a highly advanced stealth ship capable of cloaking and flying at extreme speeds called the Changeling. Wow. She has it all very powerful she's had time to kind of amass this underground you know network and underground wealth and just any number of identities and, and everything all of this experience with all of this money and the fact that she's very good very detail oriented very skilled at what she does means that these alternate identities you know kind of all play into whatever she needs to be doing you know she's got a lot of money and a lot of power tied up in different personas that she's taken over the years that she can kind of leverage that at any given time yeah and bringing this full circle to our conversation up front here chris why i think she's so hard to pin down as this second in command villain like you said referencing what you said she doesn't care as much about the macro but she cares so much about the micro it's so interesting magneto gets power like you said guiding controlling nations like actions you know through his physical and actual like powers and you know his master of magnetism all this stuff but mystique i feel like she gets her actual villain power trip is just from controlling people one-on-one defeating people one-on-one like you talked about it's kind of her thing if that makes sense it's truly why i think she is more evil than magneto in some ways like we mentioned but makes her incredibly powerful on a one-on-one scenario almost in every situation exactly so her first appearance in comics she was created by artist david cockram and of course writer chris claremont and she first appeared in the comic book miss marvel number 16 dated april 1978 so not much is known about mystique's early early life she has been with destiny for quite some time of course on and off they they take breaks from each other and go do their crazy things both as pretty much immortals and very very powerful people each respectively you know they kind of take breaks while in her raven persona which of course is her normal everyday human no blue skin persona mystique adopts the identity of deceased german secret agent lenny zabber both Lenny and Victor Creed, a.k.a. Sabretooth, had been assigned with the assassination of a scientist in East Berlin. Mystique completes the mission in place of Lenny, and then she and Victor have to hide in a safe location. There, they become lovers, but she soon fakes her death in order to leave him. And the reason this is important is because from their brief time together, there will be a child born. His name is Graydon Creed. Of course, Mystique is a horrid mother almost each and every time she's a mother. As soon as it became clear that Graydon was not going to be a mutant, she had already abandoned him, but she had no use for him whatsoever and quit kind of 
watching him from a distance, kind of like she does with Rogue. I'm sure most of you have seen that in like the X-Men 92 cartoon and everything like that. But the reason this is really important is because Graydon grows up to not only hate his parents, but transfer that hate of his parents onto all mutants. And he becomes the leader of the Friends of Humanity, and then he becomes a politician. At the height of his political ascension, Graydon is assassinated, but the shooter is later revealed to be, and this is X-Men to a T, (laughs) time-traveling version of Mystique as part of an extremely convoluted time paradox involving Jean Grey, Iceman, Toad, and Juggernaut. Once again, something we see some of in the Fox X-Men movies, some mystique time travel, assassinating or capturing political figures. It, it just reoccurs in her things. She's, she's real good at it. She is. So this is going to bring us to the next chapter in Mystique's Marvel history. Still posing as Raven, she will marry Baron Christian Wagner. He's an affluent member of German society. He is a wonderful husband. But he is a disappointing lover, and on top of that, he is infertile. So Mystique, not getting what she needs here, she seeks out and is seduced by Azazel. There it is. And, of course, from this comes the birth of a child whom she promptly abandons. And this blue-skinned, pointy-tailed child is none other than Kurt Wagner, who is raised as a gypsy by Marginelli Zardos. And Mystique kind of kept up with him a little bit as well, which, you know, has been depicted, but not very much. Nightcrawler and Mystique are not always on very good terms. For obvious reasons, I think. (laughs) So this is going to bring us now to Rogue. And this is where Mystique kind of shows that she can do the good thing for a selfish reason. Here she encounters the 14-year-old rogue who has run away from Caldecott County, Mississippi. When found, Rogue was living alone, brandishing a shotgun and trusting no one. Mystique finds Rogue and her partner Destiny had foreseen that Rogue would be very, very important to them and that is why Mystique seeks Rogue out and becomes Rogue's adoptive mother. She trains Rogue, and when Rogue is old enough, she joins the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But during this time is when Rogue absorbs Miss Marvel's powers, almost killing her. So because of this, there is Miss Marvel's psyche inside of Rogue. It's what gave her her flight and super strength, but she's also got this other person inside her head, which is something that happens quite a bit. With Rogue. And because of this, Rogue is going to leave the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and join the X Men, as Professor X is the probably the best shot Rogue has at becoming kind of mentally stable. Mystique, not really uh, happy about this, tries to assassinate Professor X uh, until Rogue stops her and explains what's going on. Mystique reluctantly relinquishes her guardianship of Rogue to. Professor X. And like a lot of things, X-Men, this could have been cleared up by communication. The soap opera continues. It's true. It's true. That's why we love them, though. So true. During all of this with Rogue, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants has been reformed with Mystique at the head. They have formed to try to assassinate Senator Robert Kelly, which is, you know, just such a famous episode each and every time they try to kill Robert Kelly in the uh, original X-Men cartoon. But because of this, anti-mutant sentiment has risen to an all-time fervor. So the federal government launches its own anti-mutant program, Project Wide Awake. Learning of this, Mystique offers to work for the federal government to help bring in other superpowered individuals. She is put on a team And that team is named Freedom Force. It's during this time with Freedom Force, while confronting the Reavers on Mir Island, Freedom Force loses two of its members. And the first one, you know, who cares? Uh, Stonewall. But the second one is why we're here. It's Mystique's partner, Destiny. This really, really, really affects Mystique. 
in a bad way. Now, it's during this time that she comes under assault by the Shadow King, who is kind of inhabiting the body of Dr. Valerie Cooper. And so then, after dispatching the Shadow King, she poses as Dr. Cooper for a while. She's eventually found, but she saves Xavier's life by killing the Shadow King's human host. And through this action, she reconciles with Rogue. It's during this time she also kind of comes to grips with Destiny's death. And she kind of teams with some X-Men here and there to do some good stuff. So after a few adventures, she, of course, starts going insane again. And she leaves the mansion under the care of Forge. Several months later, Mystique shows up again and she has she's trying to assassinate Legion for his murder of Destiny. This time she's now kind of hanging out with X Factor, her and Forge are together, and she finds the truth about a conspiracy to kill her first son, Graydon. It's through this conspiracy she discovers that they're going to assassinate Graydon and blame mutants. They're going to turn him into a martyr. Since no mutants are currently trying to assassinate him, they're going to do it themselves. And this is when this whole time thing gets gets going. And she gets into the time paradox. Guys, it's a lot. She's going to assassinate her own son. You know, and it's a very, very complicated X-Men time thing. We're just going to leave it at that. When she starts fleeing, she flees to Europe and she takes the guise of a a very attractive, blonde-haired woman. And she is seen by a famous photographer. And this photographer proposes that she becomes a fashion model. Amused, Mystique accepts and becomes the number one supermodel in the world. This, of course, is going to afford her even more money you know, another alter ego that is that is very resource rich. So now, after more time shenanigans, Mystique is left again, kind of going mad. She reforms the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants for another assassination attempt on Senator Kelly. It's kind of her go-to. It's her fallback. She doesn't know what she's doing. We're just going to try to kill Senator Kelly. She kidnaps Moira McTaggart and impersonates her in order to access research on the legacy virus. Mystique uses samples of the legacy virus to create a biological weapon that would infect humans and not mutants and then develops a cure for the legacy virus. The assassination attempt on Kelly, of course, ends in failure when Pyro betrays his teammates, and Mystique blows up the research facility she's been using as Moira McTaggart, and she fatally injures Moira. Mystique then shoots Moira's foster daughter, daughter Wolfsbane, with a prototype of Forge's neutralizer gun, depowering her. The X-Men confront Mystique, and she is seriously wounded. She tells them that Destiny had predicted a dark future for mutant kind, and that that future Destiny foretold kept on unfolding despite all that Mystique had done to, to prevent it. She believes that one, the only way to save them is to eradicate all humans. She's then sent to prison, of, but of course she quickly escapes and attempts to wrest control of x from Banshee. And she does, and she kills Banshee. Jeez. The next storyline we're going to pick up with Mystique is going to be her infiltrating the X-Men. She poses as a young girl named Fox and joins Gambit's training squad, the Chevaliers. She attempts to seduce Gambit to break Gambit and Rogue up so she can set her daughter up with a young mutant named Augustus. But Gambit resists, which I'm truly surprised at. Mystique ultimately reveals herself to him, telling him that she's trying to, you know, kind of relieve the tension between him and Rogue since they can't make skin-to-skin contact. And Mystique takes Rogue's form and tries to entice Gambit into having sex with her. Emma Frost luckily discovers who Fox really is, and the X-Men confront Mystique. Mystique tells them she's been lonely and wanted to join the X-Men, and they kind of accept that. She uses the opportunity to to sow some, you know, some seeds of doubt between Gambit and Rogue. And then the X-Men vote and decide on what to do with Mystique. And they choose to accept her, but on probationary status. Although they ask her to kind of stay away for a while so so that Rogue and Nightcrawler can kind of get used to the idea. 
after some malarkey with the Marauders, and she actually saves kind of saves Rogue's life. She does it in a kind of an evil way by manipulating Rogue, but it is ultimately a good thing. She's almost killed by Wolverine, and then she apparently dies after confronting Iceman, but she jumps off a bridge and, you know, survives, but she disappeared for a while. Now she's going to surface again to join Norman Osborn's Dark X-Men. She poses as Professor Xavier for PR purposes for the group. You know, this is kind of like a Norman Osborn's kind of suicide squad. Just a bunch of bad people posing as X-Men, posing as heroes while all the normal heroes are driven underground. It's it's pretty interesting and I kind of recommend the read. But the super important thing here is that Mystique is killed. Wow. She's killed by Wolverine in San Francisco. A recently returned from hell Wolverine, by the way. How cool is that? That's um, cool. And <laughs> her corpse is then sold for $5 million to a group of ninjas. Uh-oh. Well, we all know that if it's ninjas in Marvel, it's probably the hand. Definitely. And oh, buddy, have I been reading a lot of Daredevil lately. Oh, yes. Speaking of the hand. So we all know what the hand does. Mystique yes. is seen alive again, posing as Sabretooth at the Los Angeles International Airport. Brought back. Yes, sir. She has agreed to assist the Hellfire Club in their destruction of the Jean Grey School as Sabretooth. I mentioned earlier that her powers had been juiced up a couple of times in her powers section, and this is the final time it gets juiced up. When the hand revives her, something happens that kind of allows her to to spout some interesting new physical forms that she really hadn't been able to before. She can grow talons and, and sprout wings at, at kind of as needed. She's no longer held to just, just human forms or the forms of others. She right. can kind of manipulate herself now, which is a very interesting take. Secondary mutation. And this is also when, when she gains the power to mask her scent as the person she's taking the form of. So this is very important when around the X-Men, when Wolverine is around. So now she hears, as Sabretooth, that the original X-Men are in the present day. So she seeks out a young Scott Summers and manipulates him into thinking that she has his and mutant kind's best interests at heart. She uses Lady Mastermind and Sabretooth to commit robberies and frame the X-Men. But ultimately, Lady, Master Lady Mastermind and Mystique are captured. But of course, Mystique escapes. She is then attacked by Iceman, who is possessed by the Apocalypse Fragment. After evil Iceman is shattered into pieces by Thor, Mystique takes the Apocalypse Fragment and swallows it whole to inherit its powers. From here, she is going to get in on the sale of mutant growth hormones, which is real bad. And that is going to bring us to the Uncanny Avengers, and that's where we're going to leave off. Very good. Mystique has done some bad things, Chris, especially to people she is supposed to love. Right. She thinks she's fighting for mutant kind, but she's only ever fighting for herself. You know, she's abandoned three children. Gosh. You know, she only acted like a mother to further her own agenda, you know, for her own power. She's just really just a very self, self-centered person. It's crazy. That's a through line for sure in all of her stories. So we've got to talk about Mystique, of course, and Marvel Cinema today, Marvel Films, because they take some similar routes with her, Chris, than that you talked about in Lord Day. They also take some very different routes. So she, of course, has been played most notably by Rebecca Romaine first. Rebecca Romaine brought this sort of Mystique that we know from Chris's lore today. The deadly shapeshifter doesn't talk that much, actually in the films. And if you're in one-on-one -on -one sort of combat or conflict with her in any way, you're probably going to lose. And I think Chris, her costume and her sort of portrayal in the early trailers and things like that were really one of the things they were touting. Like we're making this as realistically as we can to mutants. You know what I mean? Oh, I remember it was a very big deal to have Rebecca remain in that movie. And in that really that, that costume, I guess is what we'll say. 
yeah, I think it was, of course, she was pretty famous at the time, but more importantly, Chris, I think they were kind of coming out the gate like, this is our costume design. This is the way we're using CGI in innovative ways to show her shape-shifting that, that hadn't really been done in film before. So the combination of the practical costume, which the whole thing is a costume, into her transformations was one of the things they were kind of touting, like, look at us, we're really doing X-Men. Well, at the time, I was blown away by it. You know, I was a, I was oh, a yeah. kid, but... Oh man, it was so exciting. The, the X-Men on the big screen and they were it looked awesome. Rebecca Romaine was in it. It was really cool. And she was such a, a major part of their publicity campaign for that movie, even though she didn't really have too too big of a role in the movie. I'd say the first one's probably one of her biggest roles, if that makes sense. But they really lean to that early brotherhood a lot, I guess, because it's just Magneto, her saber tooth and toad. Even though she didn't really have many speaking lines or anything, she she was on the screen a lot. Physical presence. Yeah, she was a huge part of their PR campaign. Absolutely. And she apparently did most of her own stunts, which is very exciting, though she had a very skilled stunt team as well. And yeah, they just really leaned into that physicality of Mystique. And you want to talk about an incredible costume design, Chris. I think Rebecca Romaine's costume is arguably the best designed in the X-Men movies for all the reasons, but I don't really like the route they went with the X-Men costumes where they just kind of went all modern and all Me either. pure black. But her costume, they did want to shed that, you know, the white suit look that we know Mystique to have in the comics, but they also wanted to kind of make her feel otherworldly and truly mutant. And how do you do that? Well, you make her skin her clothes and they did it. It was striking and it was probably the right move. Yeah, it really was. And they continue this costume going forward when Jennifer Lawrence reprises the role. Though, if you haven't listened to Chris and I's ex-commentary, I think we've got a lot of good thoughts in there about Raven in particular in that movie, First Class. And we're going to see more of Raven in these upcoming commentaries, Chris. But it's difficult to talk about Jennifer Lawrence as in this role because Rebecca is arguably perfect. And then when they cast someone very famous and young later to play the role that was, as Chris said, very topically picked because we were on J-Law, you know, fire at that time. I don't think she's the right pick for the role. And this is the first time I've said this on this podcast. So it is a very difficult thing to say because the casting, even in the Fox movies, Chris, and of course the Disney Marvel movies, casting has been so on point, but I think Jennifer Lawrence is the first misstep. I would agree. I love Jennifer Lawrence as an actress, but the Mystique role, not right for her. I would love to see, I would honestly love to see her in the Marvel reboot or whatever they end up doing there with the mutants in marvel but i don't want to see her as mystique again i agree not at all i like what they're trying to do in the fox universe where they're trying to basically you know rebecca's this silent assassin self-centered mystique which we know so well we don't really get much characterization on her in the present time movies but all these movies in the past with the young jennifer lawrence we do learn more about mystique i'm just not convinced the way they leaned into her being much more light side than we've ever seen. And maybe that's because Jennifer Lawrence was picked and it just made more sense with the actress. That was exactly what happened. They landed a really big star for a role that wasn't big enough for them. So they changed the character to fit the magnitude of that star. And it just doesn't really work with this character i don't think yeah she's fine but she just doesn't fit especially with the caliber that actors around her that fit their roles better you know we even talked about like young hank mccoy like the casting so excellent and it's just strange sometimes when jennifer lawrence is on screen because she doesn't quite feel as mystique as we've been shown mystique becomes in this very universe so it's just a strange disconnect unfortunately a misstep Though I love both actresses, just they brought what they did to the screen. And you can't really talk about the original X-Men movies without Rebecca's performance and like that costume and just like the physicality of the characters. So worth mentioning. And it turns out, Chris, Mystique has been in seven of the Fox X-Men movies. So getting up there right behind, you know, our big three, like we talked about before, the three that are in most of the films, that's Charles, of course, Eric and Logan. So Mystique's a major player in these. Even when she plays a smaller role, she is around a lot and a big majority of the movies. She's kind of a seminal character, even if she's not the focal point of a movie. She's, she's just a character that everybody remembers. It's that, it's that blue skin and that very different kind of power set. It's it's not big and flashy. It's more subterfuge. You don't get that with comic books a whole lot. 
Absolutely, Chris. I think Bro was brought, like you said, in those early movies the most out of Rebecca. And of course, the costume and the portrayal was that presence you're talking about. She's more of a mutant presence and sort of this ethereal thing. And I think that really works, even though she doesn't speak as much, like we mentioned. She kind of has the Darth Maul effect, which is a really interesting thing because Darth Maul, Ray Park, is in X-Men movies as Toad. Interesting thought. I really like that. But she's definitely like that Darth Maul effect where it's like the less he speaks, the more he's just physical and has a presence, the more we're kind of mesmerized by him. And I think she's the exact same way. And I think maybe that's why the J-Law performance doesn't work as much because she actually has one of the highest speaking parts of all those films. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I think sure. that's a big part of it. So Chris, closing out our mystique discussion today on lore, we got to have a comic book recommendation. Well, I'm going to say, go ahead and just read Dark Avengers. It's fun. It's a fun read. It's not too hard. Very good. Just do it. I love it. All right, Chris. Well, we've got to talk about mystique and MCP. So let's get over to strategy. Her name is Mystique. Her alter ego is Raven Darkholm. On her healthy side, she has five stamina, a movement of long, a height of two, and a threat cost of three. Her defenses, Chris, are three physical, three energy, three mystic. And on her injured side, she also has five stamina for a total of 10. What are your thoughts about Mystique's three threat stats? You know I love a long mover. That's really what it is, right? She's a long mover. Can't forget about it. No, it's it's huge. It's very important. And, you know, otherwise she's a base three character so far. Right. So as in the long mover, of course, is her standout, right? But everything else. Exactly. She reminds me at first glance like a Baron Zemo, though I will admit, and, you know, people always forget how strong Baron Zemo is. I think he's kind of snuck away from people because he is a corset guy. But once again, right. Baron Zemo. Five stamina front, five on back, long mover. Defense is three physical, three energy, four mystic. So he's essentially a mystique with a little bit higher defenses. But you can't underestimate these long mover three threats who have just consistent defense. You know, mystique and Baron Zemo both, they don't have a obvious weakness on their defenses. Like she's three across the board and he's three, three, four. So I think that's fine. I actually love it. Let's start off with her first attack, Chris, because it's something we've seen before in the game. And it's coming back. It's a physical attack called Pistol. It's range three, a strength of four, and a power cost of zero. After this attack is resolved, Mystique gains one power, Rapid Fire, and has the symbol Hit. After this attack is resolved, this character may make one additional pistol attack. The additional attack must target the original target character. The additional attack does not have the rapid fire special rule. So all this in a nutshell, Chris, very similar to Black Widow Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. except Black Widow Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s four dice rapid fire gun just happens. Mystique actually needs to get one hit. Also similar to Frank Castle, his is a four dice rapid fire that just happens. So Mystique's is a weaker version of Thurs because she needs to get one hit. Chances are going to get one hit on four dice, though. Pretty high. And then she gets to attack again. What's really the big takeaway from this attack, Chris, same like I said with Black Widow, and I will say in our future Punisher episode, these characters don't have a strike, but they basically have a consistent way to get two power. So it's almost better sometimes than a strike because you know exactly what you're getting, if that makes sense. Because if Mystique shoots her pistol twice, she gains two power because it says when the attack is resolved. So when it's resolved, you gain a power the first time, no matter what. And then as long as you got one hit, you get to do it again and you gain another power. So it's an interesting way for these characters to build power. It's different from other characters. It's It has less spikes, really doesn't have any spikes compared to other characters that maybe have a, a strike, right? Where you just gain what you dealt. The consistency makes it better to kind of plan on, but you know, it, you're not going to have those peaks and valleys that are so fun sometimes. It's true. And we've talked about four dice being bad on a strike, but four dice twice is more like a six dice strike or a five dice strike, right. which is actually right. good. So you've got to look at it a different way. You got to wrap your head around it a different way, but you know, it's a range three pistol shot. It's fine. It's fine. Her next attack is going to be a physical attack. It is espionage. It will be a range two strength six power cost of three. Before damage is dealt, the target character gains the stun special condition. I love that. It just happens. I love we do when you can hand out conditions without rolling a wild. It's great. No, it's it's a good way just to give someone a stun. Six strength is fine. I don't think you're going to do this all the time, but you know, it turns out Mystique's got pretty good ways to build power from her pistol. And she's only got one other thing, Chris, that she can spin power on her kit on, really. So you're just going to do this espionage when you're topped off to kind of 
actually gives someone more damage. And of course, that wonderful stun. Oh, I love it. But Mystique has five superpowers. This is a pretty unusual thing for a three threat character. So let's get into them, Chris. Her first superpower is her Brotherhood of Mutants affiliation leadership. So yes, we have our second leader of the Brotherhood of Mutants. Freedom Force affiliation, Brotherhood of Mutants, once per turn. After an allied character interacts with an extract objective token, after all the effects are resolved, the allied character gains one power. Additionally, allied characters may use the following interact ability. Interact, secure objective token. Place a token on the targeted objective token. While this token is in play, you are considered securing the objective. Remove the token if any enemy character contests this objective token. You may only have one token in play at a time as a result of this leadership ability. So Chris, once again, similar to Magneto, we're going to have to break this down in sections because there's a lot going on here. So first thing with the Freedom Force is when you spend a power to interact the first time on a turn, you immediately get one power back. Does that make sense? So that's easy enough. Yeah. So when someone on Mystique's team is, say, interacting with a civilian token like Toad, Toad pays the power initially to pick the token up, but then he immediately gets one power back. So they are the faction that, that basically gets to interact for free once per turn. They have to have the power to spend Correct. to be able to play, but when they do play, it's for free. Right. They don't always get to do it for free. It's just they immediately get the money back. So it's a way to basically make the game balanced, which I appreciate from Atomic Mass. But they also have this neat little tag on. This is very Criminal Syndicate-esque where they have two powers really in one. And the second power is this basically Mystique token where anyone on your team can interact. So once again, they're going to pay one, but they'll get it back, you know, if we do all this right. But they're going to pay one to interact and put this out. And essentially, this is just a token that's like a ghost version of someone on your team. They're, it's basically just a body standing by an objective. And the way you use this token, I think the best way to use it is you do one of those objectives that are pretty far spread out. You put this token on a corner objective or a back objective of the board that no one's at, and you just leave it there and move on. And it's going to score all game until an enemy player comes to contest it. Which is great because you're forcing that character to dedicate activations to removing that token, which keeps those characters out of the important fights where they're needed. Absolutely, Chris. And I just kind of view this as like, this is like another Black Widow or a Koye I have on the table. Because sometimes those right. characters, all they do is sit on objective and that's perfectly fine in MCP because this is a objective-based scoring game. Now, this does make it a little harder to build around Mystique's team. You know, Magneto's Brotherhood team, you're just thinking, any map I'm on, I want to take characters that can throw terrain and blow terrain up. Okay, that's a simple way to build Magneto's team. Of course, playing Magneto and executing that is much more nuanced than that, like we talked about in the last episode. But Mystique's is a little tougher because you really want to think about your extract objectives. And you also want to think about your secure objectives because, you know, this token placement is secure objectives, but her leadership saves you money on extract objectives. So you really want to know your crises really well when you play this team. So they're a little bit more nuanced team in that way. I think it's neat. I think it's neat that they are the objective focused brotherhood while Magneto's is kind of the engine power building damage version of brotherhood. Well, and it just fits their characters so well. Like we were talking macro versus micro with these two characters. Absolutely. Absolutely, Chris. And something I've got to talk about every time this comes up, which has only been an X-Men so far in the game, but I'm going to keep talking about it for anyone that's a new listener and just us to continue to wrap our heads around building with these teams. But say you have Magneto and Mystique in your 10 character roster, and then you build your list. Well, Crisis are chose, and then you build your list. You don't have to decide if Magneto or Mystique are your Brotherhood leader until the enemy player has revealed their roster and you're into deployment. So you've really got a lot of leeway if you've got both of the characters out on the field. Who do you want your leader? What are we looking at? What map are we looking at? What terrain are we looking at? What extract and secure objectives are we looking at? Well, is it really Mystique's favor? Well, then I'm going to choose Mystique as my leader. So it's an interesting way to kind of get the most benefit out of having both leaders in your bag. It's kind of like we talked about with Storm and Scott. Storm's always going to work. But if you can find the right time to bring Scott out as your leader and you see the enemy team and then you say, this is a Scott game, well, then you do it, you know? And that's what I love about these X-Men affiliations. Something new Atomic Mass has brought to the game. It's kind of like a little mini fun, strategic part of turn zero that did not exist before. There's a lot that goes into this game before the game even starts. It's so true. It's actually really fun. So let's talk about her next superpower. This is an active superpower. It is 
Expert Sabotage. It is going to cost you three power. This power does count as an action. Choose an interactive terrain feature of size three or less within range four of this character. Enemy characters within range one of the terrain feature suffer two damage. The terrain feature is destroyed and removed from the battlefield. This superpower can be used only once per turn. Awesome. It's the same power that Punisher has called Warzone. What do you know? It costs the same. But most importantly, Chris, paying damage is awesome in MCP because these characters don't get to make a defense save. They just take two damage as long as they're within range one of the terrain you just blew up. Well, and it plays right into Magneto's leadership as well. Of course it does, because then you really want to blow up a size three every time, not a size two, a size three, because then you're passing out three power. Maybe Mystique just got a power from it. You know, maybe she was at five before she spent three for this and now she's at two power and then she gives herself one from the size three being blown up because she's on Magneto's team and she can blow something else up again. I mean, this is fun stuff if it can work out. Oh, yeah, it's it's very cool. And it's always setting up for the perfect play, you know? Oh, 100%. And it's so thematic to her because how many times has she blown things up? All the time is the answer. So her next three superpowers are all innate. So the first one is a innate superpower called martial artist. We've seen this before on Black Widow. When this character is defending against a physical or energy attack and it is targeting it within range two, Mystique adds blanks in her defense roles to the total successes. So basically, if Mystique's in range two, she's getting extra defense on these 333 stats because her blanks are counting on physical and energy attacks. It does not benefit Mystic defense. Her next superpower is going to be another innate superpower. It is Shapeshifter. During this character's activation, enemy characters cannot use reactive superpowers or reactive team tactic cards. This is very strong, Chris. Very cool. Maybe not as detrimental as what we like to call the Loki tax, where everyone has to pay one extra on their superpowers. But... It just shuts off reactive superpowers during her activation. So I kind of love it. I don't know. I think it's really neat. It's once again, a hard thing to wrap your head around, right? But a way to think of this is one of my favorite uses of one of my favorite characters, Venom, using so many snacks after an attack targeting Venom is resolved, you may use a superpower. It's reactive. Well, she gets around that. So Mystique can attack Venom. He can attack back and heal himself like he loves to do outside of activation. That's just one example of many. But of course, that's one of the first ones that comes to my mind because well, of course, that's how you want to use Venom, right? You really want to get out of activation attacks and heal him right back up. So it's just so cool. And reactive team tactic cards too, Chris, is really cool. There's a lot in the game that people use all the time to prevent damage. Things like exceptional healing is a reactive card. So she turns that off, the card that we love so much on Logan, where you essentially get an Odin's Blessing, reduce all the damage that is just dealt to Logan or Sabretooth down to one where they survive. She turns that off. There's so many things she turns off as long as it's her activation. I think it's really neat. Very cool and very strategic if you're playing things in the proper order. Absolutely. Let's talk about strategic proper order play, Chris. Her last innate superpower is one we've seen before and we're seeing it again. Stealth. Not the first. Characters must be within range three of Mystique to target her with attacks. So just like Black Widow, it's so cool. It It is poetry. It rhymes. Within range two, Mystique's getting the extra defense from her martial artist. Range three is her kind of bad spot. If you're in range three, she can be targeted. But if you're outside of range three, she can't be attacked at all. So she can't be shot by the Hawkeyes of the world or these characters with these long beam attacks, things like that. So ideally with her, you want to skirt the edges of the boards to stay in stealth. And then when you finally get to the objectives, you know, do objective things with her because she is a long mover. And then if you have to fight people, don't fight them in three, fight them in two, which all makes sense with their characters. I was going to say, you got that. Now you have to remember that all those little nuances about the other four characters on your team too. Right. Sometimes five. (laughs) Sometimes five. And let's not mention five tactic cards. Right. Well, speaking of tactics cards, I believe there's one we want to talk about here. This is kind of her uh, last superpower, Chris, is my approach to this. I think it could be really strong. So the name of this card is Deception. It is unaffiliated. It is an active tactics card. Mystique may play this card. Choose an enemy character within range four of this character. If there are no other non-dazed enemy characters within range two of the chosen enemy character, you may advance the chosen character its speed towards Mystique. 
So powerful. That's so cool. Yeah, come here, Black Panther, with your long move. Exactly. Sorry, buddy. Get him out there in the open, out away from cover, maybe in range of the of the big attack. You've got power for away from his team, away from the objectives, out in space. Very dangerous for some of these big damage dealers. Well, someone who loves Hulk, Chris, and loves to sing Hulk's praises and say people don't give enough credit, this is another roadblock in Hulk's way. Because, man, you just come up the side of the battlefield and make Hulk go the opposite direction of where Mm. he needs to be. That is so detrimental. Yeah, he just lost two turns. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he just lost two turns. Yeah, that's... It's tough. And same goes for MODOK. I mean, MODOK is one of the most powerful characters in the game. I know MODOK has range, which is very helpful. But if you can pull MODOK to a corner where no one else is and it's just Mystique and you've potentially negated his attacks for one turn, that's huge. It's huge. I love it. It's it's her being the best version of herself that we've seen, her best superpower. I mean, let's talk about this art, Chris. Mystique is halfway shifting from herself into Rogue and Gambit's giving her a big old hug because he has no idea. You know, her eyes are glowing and man, the art, they knock the art on this game out of the park every time. It's very cool. They do a great job of making the art almost look like it came from the books. It's, it's really cool. It is really cool. So I think this is essentially her last superpower on her card that says use once per game, because also keep in mind, Chris, with this tax card, I think you want this 90% of the time when you're running Mystique because it's free, it's free. I mean, does it make your five cards every time you play the game? Maybe not. But is it in your eight if you have a mystique in your roster? Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. It really could be a power play. You know, it really could mess things up. You know, when you got those maps like Gamma Shelters, you've got, your, say you're fighting an Avengers team. Captain America's giving everybody his bodyguard all around him with his shield. Just pull Captain America out. Now he's pulled out of the Gamma Shelters, taking that Gamma Radiation damage. But most importantly, you kind of messed up their their whole plan, you know, their tanky plan they had going. It's great. I'm a big fan I'm looking forward to using it more and kind of just seeing the ways it can really mess up the battlefield. But yeah, I think it's most detrimental to these slow moving characters, these crossbones, kingpins, modocs, hulks of the world, where they don't move very much to begin with. And if you pull them off an objective away from everything else, like Chris said, you've maybe taken away one or two turns from them. And it's like, do they really just want to go waste their next activation on killing Mystique? Now they're out of the fray. This may be something you do with her late game, Chris. And you know, you say, I don't care if she dies at this point. You know, she's done a lot. Exactly. She's capped some objectives. She's gathered some tokens off the map. You know, she's done cool things. Yeah. Just pull someone off an objective. And you know, that could be the thing that makes them win the game. And you just gave yourself one more turn where they can't win for one more turn. There's all sorts of scenarios. She's very sneaky. Here's what's rough, Chris. Last episode with Magneto, we talked about two unique Magneto cards. One which seems pretty crucial, the cover, and one which is fun, which is his big crush attack. And now we're talking about an almost absolutely essential Mystique card. We're running out of spots. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're already at three great cards, and we haven't even talked about the generic Brotherhood cards yet. It's a really good problem to have too many quality tactics cards for your team. That sounds like this team. <laughs> Well, it's just another, you know, mark in their favor in the in the pros column. Yeah, because I've got some spoilers, guys. They've got more cards coming that are good for them. Yeah, it's not an insignificant <laughs> pros column either, you know? Absolutely not. So, Chris, that is our strategy on Mystique. I think she's a very viable three threat. I think we're going to see a lot of her all over the place because... Similar to the Black Widows of the world and stuff, you can't understate a long mover. You know, you can't understate cards like Deception, of course. I think that's maybe reason to take her alone. But I also think this expert sabotage blowing terrain up is really synergistic with Magneto, like we talked about, but also just fun. And then, of course, Stealth and Shapeshifter. If you're remembering those triggers, they can't use reactive superpowers. You can't be shot outside of range three. There's a lot of things going on with this character. She's going to take a lot of play to really master her, but I think she's a good fit in most teams. And especially, you know, the teams that come to my mind, Brotherhood and Criminal Syndicate. Man, is she a good Criminal Syndicate member as well. And you want to talk about something that makes sense thematically. Oh, yeah. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch our streams of Marvel Crisis Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. We will return to streaming, so please follow us there. So the day we stream again, we're ready to go. Follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us at Fury's Finest at gmail.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you for leaving all the Apple podcast reviews. If you have not done so yet on your Apple device of choice, please 
leave us one. It really helps the show grow and helps Marvel Crisis Protocol get to more people. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse said, guys, please help spread the word, rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And check out my Star Wars podcast, The Canon Cantina, all about Star Wars story, canon, and lore. You can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. Thanks for listening to another exciting X-Season episode and our second episode of The Brotherhood, Chris. I can't wait for the next Brotherhood installment. Toad and Sabretooth are going to be great. Sabretooth is one of my all-time favorite villains. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Thanks for listening. True Believers. Excelsior. Excelsior.